throughout this book is the word added to or multiplied. And uh, I don't think Luke uses those words, um, you know, just to fill out a word count. He uses them purposely. And for us, uh, I think that God wants to impress on us that it's not wrong to think of things growing. Not just in maturity. You know, often we will say in church life that, you know, um, as long as people are growing in maturity, it doesn't matter whether we're growing as a body. And on the one hand, I understand that. But on another hand, it doesn't seem to fit in with the scripture for me. And so I want to encourage you this morning to expect growth, numerical and growth in maturity, growth in maturity in your own life. And as you grow in maturity, that what we will see is the knock-on effect of that, which will be other folk being added to the Lord. And then as they're added to the Lord, there'll be so many additions that you might as well talk about multiplication instead. So I just really want to encourage you to grow in an expectation for that. Because it is easy to settle into routine. Just become routine. As I, when I woke this morning, I was in my study. I had a... Um, I picked up a book, actually, when I was tidying out the pastor's office. I picked up a book on the shelves there, and it's an old book by the Jeffreys brothers. And uh, I was reading this morning, just for a while, some of the things that took place when they began to minister. And uh, I've got to say, bring back those days. Not that I want to live in the past, but bring back those days where they would go and they would see things happen. They, I know they would do what they called in the day crusades, but they would go to dead small places where there was a handful of people and having held maybe a two-week, three-week, four-week campaign, as they called it, there would be 300 people left behind. Quite amazing. They declared the gospel in its fullness. They declared that uh, God was a holy God and that he was not to be trifled with. And they didn't preach about themselves. They just preached about God and his love for people, but also the fact that there was a choice people had to make between darkness and light, between living under the kingdom of God or the kingdom of darkness and they would see many people not just saved but healed and filled with the Holy Spirit without any interruption between each thing because we like routines we would say well you get saved first and then if you're good you'll be baptized in water then we will see you filled with the Holy Spirit and if you know, where well, you might get saved, you might get healed saved, or saved healed, one of those two ways, and then on through. But they just saw some amazing things. Well, recently I shared with you from Acts 9.31, um, and it was from that verse, really, 
that growth, I believe, that multiplication and addition come. Living in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit. You know, we all have a picture of God that we prefer. We have a preferred picture of God for ourselves. Some people like to think of God as mate. Some people like to think of God as father because they had a good father experience. There are people who haven't had a good father experience and don't like to think of God in that way at all, but they will come up with some way that they connect and can try and connect with this God who is interested in them. Whatever way you connect with God in terms of whether it, you, you, I'm not so keen on mate or an alternative to father, to be perfectly frank, because God reveals himself as father. And therefore, whilst our experiences of fatherhood might not be the best, we will all have an idea of what a good, good father should be. We will have somewhere in us The very fact that we have made a decision that our father wasn't a good father means we've already made us in a, a, what's the word I'm wanting? We've made an assessment of what a good father should be. But it doesn't matter how our picture of God's fatherhood is, we must always remember that God is still holy. He is still holy, Matthew 5, 48. He is righteous, Deuteronomy 3, 2 and 4, or 32, 4. He is omnipotent, all-powerful. Just look in the Psalms for that, or Job, Jeremiah, Ephesians, and all Hebrews will tell you that. He's the omniscient, he is all-knowing. He is omnipresent, he is always everywhere even though that blows our mind, he is everywhere. He is referred to as just, unchangeable or immutable. He is beautiful, according to Habakkuk. To name just a few of the attributes that we can put against God. When we read and we begin to understand who God is, it shouldn't surprise us that the psalmist makes the statement, what is man that you are mindful of him? What is man that you are mindful of him? I want to say to you this morning, God is absolutely awesome. He is without equal. There is no one or anything that can stand next to him. What's the phrase that used to be said? You can't hold a candle. Was it something like that? Next to him. He is amazing. And this almighty or powerful God is interested in this planet and in us as people. 
It is not his will that any individual should be lost, but rather that all men and women and children should be saved. When we journey with God and we walk with God and we put our faith and trust in him, we have the added bonus of walking in the comfort of the Holy Spirit. Paul wrote these words, Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? The word dwell here means live, reside, inhabit, occupies. And those words to me demonstrate not just a God out there somewhere, but a God who is personal and wanting intimacy with us. The God of Moses, that he could go in, into that tent and he could be with God. David sitting before the ark. Intimacy with God. Something that is absolutely unthinkable at one level because of his awesomeness and his holiness. And yet when Jesus died and that veil was rent in two, the way was made open for us to have that awesome intimacy with him. So today, <clears throat> we're going to look at what happens when we walk in the fear of the Lord and the comfort of the Holy Spirit. So I'm just going to read a few verses out of the Acts for you. Acts 9, 32. Now, as Peter went here and there among them all, he came down also to the saints who lived in Lydda. There he found a man named Ananias, bedridden for eight years, who was paralyzed. And Peter said to him, Ananias, Jesus Christ heals you. Rise and make your bed. And immediately he rose, and all the residents of Lydia, or Lydda and Sharon saw him. And they turned to the Lord. Now there was in Joppa a disciple named Tabitha, which translated means Dorcas. She was full of good works and acts of charity. In those days she became ill and died, and when they had washed her, they laid her in, the, in an upper room. And since Lydda was near Joppa, the disciples, hearing that Peter was there, sent two men to him, urging him, Please come to us without delay. So Peter rose and went with them. And when he arrived, they took him to the upper room. All the widows stood beside him, weeping and showing him tunics and other garments that Dorcas made while she was with them. But Peter put them all outside and he knelt down and prayed. And turning to the body, he said, Tabitha, arise and she opened her eyes and when she saw Peter she sat up that must have been a moment that must have been some moment for Peter I think I might have dropped if I was holding something I might have dropped something at that point and he gave her his hand and he raised her up then calling the saints and widows, he presented her alive. 
And it became known throughout all Joppa. And again, many believed in the Lord. And he stayed in Joppa for many days with one Simon the Tanner. Here in these verses, we have something that we see in the life of Jesus. When Jesus walked the earth, he too experienced doing the things that Peter did. He commissioned Peter, basically, and the disciples to go to preach the kingdom to heal the sick, to raise the dead, to cast out demons, to heal lepers. And Peter, now, all these years on after Jesus had died, he is out and about amongst the saints, going from place to place to encourage the church. And he comes to a place and he finds someone. He's not looking for someone to heal. He just finds someone who is paralyzed and bedridden. And so what does he do? He decides that he's just going to speak to him and say, Jesus Christ heals you. Jesus Christ heals you. Get up. Oh, for the days where that takes place. Not because I want to be sensationalist, but I want to say, I don't believe these gifts have ever been removed from the church, removed from the people of God. I believe they're as relevant today as they were then. So in this passage, we have three things that... uh, come up a presenting problem the way in which the problem was encountered and the outcome and you have that in both cases both with Ananias and with Tabitha or Dorcas whichever name you prefer to call her it is the inbreaking of the kingdom of God into this world Jesus came from God to this world and in as much as that took place God's kingdom started to break into this world of ours but these signs of the kingdom which follow people who fear the Lord and walk in the comfort of the Holy Spirit things begin begin to happen things start to take place now I don't know if you're like me but I walk around blind half the time or so my wife tells me Because I'm one of these people who, she will notice things in people that maybe somebody's sad or downcast and I've spoken to that person and it's gone right over my head. I've missed it. I don't know why I miss it sometimes, but I missed it. But she has seen it and spotted it. I want to say one of the first things we need to learn is this, that... The reality for me is that we need to ask God to open our eyes to what, not what might happen over there or over there or next week or next year, but what is in front of us today, right now. 
We've all gathered this morning, we've spent time maybe sharing a few words with one another, talking to each other. And I'm not trying to say that everything we said or did is superfluous and unnecessary, but I wonder if we saw the actual person that was stood before us. I once listened to a sermon by a guy who talked about Jesus. And even though the scripture says this about Jesus, there was nothing about his countenance in and of itself that would draw us to him. He made the point that when Jesus looked at a person in their eyes, something happened. Something happened. It was like any cold, any ice was just melted The love that came from his eyes into another person's eyes was phenomenal. Oh, that we would begin to see what is immediately in front of us. Sometimes we ask God to open things to us, to show us who we might witness to, and yet every day, Each of us will come face to face with someone. And maybe we should open our eyes and look at who is immediately before us. Because it is them that God has brought across my path that day. Why do I say that? Because I don't believe anything happens by chance. And therefore, you being here this morning is not chance. It is in God's design. God has something for you today. If you've got ears to hear and eyes to see, he's got something for you today. God revealed himself as Jehovah Rapha, the God who heals The idea of healing, these healing encounters, we would say probably that Dorcas was a miracle because she had died, but it was healing that took place for Ananias. But for me, it doesn't matter whether it's raising someone from the dead or healing someone or someone finding peace or someone finding salvation They all come under Jehovah Rapha, the God who heals. The God who heals. Where that phrase, where God says to to the uh, Israelites, I am the God who heals, it's in Exodus 15, 22 to 27. And they're in the wilderness and they're walking in the wilderness and they have a need for water. A need for water. And they come to Marah. And there is a whole load of water in front of them. But it says that the water was bitter and undrinkable. Imagine that. You're in the wilderness. You're in a desert place. And a desert is both hostile to the human body. It is hostile You will not last that long without water. 
And if you're in the desert, you better make sure you have a supply either of water with you or you know where you're going so that you can access water because if you don't, you won't survive. And here are these people, they come to Marah, they need water, there is water before them, they can't drink it. And God, it says, makes Moses notice a branch and he picks it up and he throws it in to the water and the water becomes sweet and drinkable and it is at that moment that God reveals himself as Jehovah Rapha I am the God who heals it wasn't salvation it wasn't physical healing it was a practical issue And so when we see healing, we so often look just to the physical all the time, just to the physical, just to something like that. But God's healing power, for me, will touch any area of life that is required. Now, I've said to you before, I do not understand sometimes why God does not act immediately when we pray because on this occasion he spoke to Ananias and Ananias rose got up he speaks to Dorcas you know arise and he turns and there she is she's awake she sits up he gives her his hand and she stands I don't understand why always it doesn't happen that way But it didn't always happen that way with Jesus either. You might remember that when Jesus walked around, he has someone brought to him and lowered through a roof. And he raises him up. In fact, he forgives the man's sins. And the reality is that there's a group there who get upset thinking, who the dickens does this bloke think he is forgiving sins? And he makes the statement that, so you know I have the authority to forgive sins. Take up your mat and walk. And he healed the man. Jesus made this statement, if if by the finger of God I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. There was deliverance. The widow of Nain, he walks along and there he comes and she's carrying her son out of the city and he speaks to the corpse and it lives. We know about Lazarus. He waits three extra days. He doesn't rush and then he goes down and he goes to the tomb and tells Lazarus to come forth. Jesus did these things. He prayed for a blind man and the blind man, he asked him what he could see and he said, I see men walking like trees. There was not immediacy of healing there. What about the 10 lepers? He prayed for 10 lepers. Only one came back and worshipped, but he prayed for 10 lepers and it says this, as they went, they were healed. Because of the non-immediacy so often, 
we hang back from praying for people. Because we don't want to answer the difficult question, why haven't I been healed? There is only one simple answer to that. I don't know. There can be reasons, but most of the time it is, I don't know. But I am asked to pray for you, and therefore I will be obedient, and I will pray for you. So we have signs of the kingdom. I want to ask a question. Has anybody here been healed? Yeah? Put your hands right up. I want to see. Yeah. Okay. That's great. So in our room this morning, there are people who could give testimony to the power of God to heal. All right? Now, I don't know what those things are. I would imagine that probably the majority of them will be physical. But you see, I've seen God's provision in time of need, and that is as much for me the power of God to heal my financial circumstances as anything else. Hey, I got saved. That healed me from the curse of sin, for goodness sake. And so did you. And that is the greatest healing that I can receive anyway. The reality is, we need to learn to be bold. Not stupid, but bold. Open our eyes, Lord. Let us see what's in front of us and let us respond to what we see. I think for the majority of us, we need to learn a phrase in our language. Would you mind if I prayed for you? Just something simple like that would you mind you're giving the person the opt-out if they don't want you to pray for them i'll tell you now they'll tell you straight away some of them will say don't pray for me now because they think oh my goodness they're going to go weird right they might say oh don't pray for me now but you can pray for me when you're right and you just make say to them well if 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 you know them because most of the people we'll pray for and see things happening we will already know Well, let me know how it goes, and I'll pray until you get your breakthrough. I once asked my father why he allowed the same people to come out for prayer every week when I was a kid. It used to infuriate me, you know. He would, um, when he was running a church in Cheltenham, he, he would pray for people every week, and And I'd say, for goodness sake, that person comes out every week. What's wrong with them? You know, I wasn't wanting to know. What, you know, why do they need to come out every week? You've prayed once. Surely that's enough. And this was his answer. And I really take this. This is what he said to me. He said, son, the prayer we give to that person might be the very thing that helps them make another week in their circumstances. When you pray for people, there is far more than the immediate thing that you see. Something else, something is happening. They are opening themselves to God. When you offer to pray for people, 
They're opening themselves to God and giving God room in their life. When Jesus walked this earth, he quotes in Luke chapter 4 what his role was in from Isaiah 61. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, for he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor, salvation, proclaiming salvation. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to captives. For me personally, that would fit in with deliverance. And you can be delivered from a lot more than just demonic spirits. You can be delivered from controlling life problems, which aren't necessarily demonic in their origin. You can be delivered. So deliverance, recovery of sight to the blind, physical healing, to set at liberty those who are oppressed. Deliverance again for me, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour. Good news to the poor. Peter is demonstrating signs of the kingdom. Signs of the kingdom. The presenting problem, I want you to notice that when he prayed, he didn't say anything about himself. He didn't use I. He just spoke the name of Jesus or he commanded the thing that was required. He didn't say, I command you in the name of Jesus. He said, Tabitha, arise. He said to Ananias, Jesus Christ heals you. He took no glory for himself when I was reading those few extracts from that book this morning about the Jeffreys brothers they made it absolutely clear absolutely clear there was no healing power in them at all it was purely God who heals they took no glory from God they just simply um you know, try to glorify him. The outcome. In both cases, word spread. People were saved. People came to God, came to Christ. In both cases. In the case of Tabitha, and it became known throughout all Joppa, and many believed in the Lord. For Ananias and all the residents of Lydda and Sharon saw him, and they turned to the Lord. Signs of the kingdom point to the kingdom, point to the reality of Jesus, point to the fact that it is not a crutch or a figment of imagination. It is real. Jesus is real. So I want you to open your eyes. I went to a healing conference very early on in my ministry and when I was in Plymouth in the early 80s, probably 84, end of 84, beginning of 85. Stayed in a caravan 
which, no offence, it was cold, it was wet, and so was the bed, you know. Um, it was not, not a good situation. But I always remember John Wimber making this statement. He stood on a platform, he'd been praying for people, and he just said to everybody, listen, you've got to step out in faith, trusting God. But faith is spelt R-I-S-K, risk. Pride. What will I look like if, it, if they're not healed? Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. Don't let it get in the way. When you see someone before you, ask God to show you where they're at. And then offer to pray for them. Don't look for a model in Scripture because Jesus did it so many different ways. He didn't want to give us a model because we're model-type people, aren't we? I like to know the, the process. See what is before you. Ask God, what do you want to do? Simple, just ask him, what do you want to do? Then, I like this one, pray your best prayer. That's all, pray your best prayer. Don't be frightened to check it out. If they've got dodgy knees, ask them if their knees are better. Ask them to do something that they found difficult. Right? Worst case scenario? No change. Pray for them again. And ask them to keep you informed and keep praying for them. Don't be afraid to pray more than once. And so you don't worry, leave everything up to God. It's him. It's not us. But I will say this, that I believe that as disciples, we should be open to pray for people. Doesn't mean we've got to become what I call prayer junkies, where we're just looking for the person who needs prayer, you know. Like a submarine with the periscope up trying to find where the torpedo is to hit. But God will just present us with things in our life, in our everyday life, opportunities. Let's be bold to take them.